3: Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done.
0: Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff
2: from HowStuffWorks.com. All right, you know what that music means. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Ben. And I'm Scott. And today, Scott... We're going to take a little bit of a trip. We're going to go to a little town called Pikeville, North Carolina.
4: Uh, interesting that you would say that, Ben. I have uh, I've been doing just a little bit of research on this, um, you know, for the last week or so, mm-hmm. and see uh, how close Pikeville is to Atlanta, Georgia. If we actually want to make the trip, yeah, Do you know how far this is from us. Lay it on me. It's only six hours and twenty-seven minutes away. That's about four hundred and forty miles. I mean, that's something where we could actually leave in the morning, uh-huh. be there by the afternoon, spend a couple of hours there, and then come back and be home by, you know, like 10 o'clock at night or something like that.
2: Oh, we, cool. The night's still young. We could literally do this in a day if we wanted to. Well, we're going to check with our bosses and listeners. We're going to check with you, uh, over the course of this story to see if this is a trip that we should take because aside from being a wonderful town there in North Carolina, mm-hmm. beautiful part of the great states, uh, Pikeville is home to a very, very interesting dealership.
4: Yeah. Yeah. A dealership that a lot of people say time has forgotten. And, uh, this kind of ties in with our, oh boy, I hate to say it, Ben, our rotting car collection episodes. It, it
2: is weird. This is, this is what the third or fourth rotting car collection we've done. It is. Yeah. Let's see. We did the Corvette giveaway. Yeah. We did, uh, Princely collection, sure. right? Uh, uh, Prince Jeffrey Brunei. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Mm, I don't know if the the cars that were abandoned in the Middle East really count.
4: Um, maybe, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah, I okay. think, why
4: not? Uh, there are some others around along the way that we've talked about the Belvedere. I, I know we've mentioned, uh, you know, the uh, the Lambert collection that, uh, or the auction rather. Yeah, uh, you know, that happened last year or two years ago, maybe mm-hmm. at this point. But uh, that was a pretty interesting story as well. Um, but these these rotting collections of cars, these uh, these cars that time has forgotten, I guess these get a lot of attention. You know, mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the press. A lot of people like to talk about them, kind of, uh, wax a little bit nostalgic about things, you no know, when they, when they see something like this, but also maybe shed a tear because, uh, some of these cars are in just such poor condition and it didn't have to be that way. And that's exactly the case with this dealership in Pikeville.
2: Yes. Collier Motors, uh, run by Robert Collier, the third generation owner of this dealership that his grandfather began. More than a century ago.
4: Yeah, in a roundabout way, right? I mean, yeah. because uh, I think early on, and I, I will uh, shuffle notes here as I try to find it, but um, more than 100 years ago, and he was actually selling a different type of automobile. He was uh, he was dealing in Whippets, Studebakers, and Willie Over, Willie's Overland vehicles, right? Mm. And uh, I think that, you know, that was a, a different location. It wasn't exactly right where Collier Motors is now. Right. But it was the grandfather, because the guy that we're going to talk about today is actually the third generation owner of of automobile dealerships, right? I mean, it's, it's not necessarily the same one, but he's the third-generation owner within that family.
2: Yeah, they've got uh dealerships in their blood, you know, uh, is what they used to say when there would be third-generation sailors and stuff like that. Yeah, so Collier's father, Robert Collier, the protagonist of our show today, uh his father converted the dealership to sell and service Nash and Rambler automobiles. And when Robert collier took over right mm-hmm. the uh the the dealershippery um which is a word i just made up <laughs> he uh he changed the focus of the dealership again to amc's
4: right american motors corporation or amc as we've said already right yeah and uh so when robert took over from his father you know who was uh, operating this nash and rambler dealership um he decided that he was going to sell this new type of vehicle which was called amc vehicles now amc as we said American Motors Corporation. It was formed in 1954 with the merger of Nash Kelvinator Corporation and the Hudson Motor Car Company. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, brand new vehicle at the time. You can think of like Nash, Rambler, Jeep, those type of vehicles being sold there. Right. And there were a bunch of subsidiaries of AMC. There was uh, Kelvinator, as we said, mm-hmm. AM General, mm-hmm. Wheelhorse, and later, much later, Beijing Jeep. Ah, uh, because that was with the Chrysler
2: tie-in, right? Of course, Robert Collier will would never and will never sell Beijing Jeeps. No, of course he won't, and we'll
4: <laughs> I promise we'll get to that because
2: that's kind of that's where this
4: whole thing takes a uh, a decidedly different twist, right? Yeah,
2: I think that's one of the um, uh, that's a genesis of the story. It definitely is. There's no doubt about it. So
4: uh, let's just get a little bit more AMC history out of the way before we move on, because. Sure. Uh, I think it's important to note that AMC was uh, was bought out by Chrysler around, I think it was in 1987, uh-huh. and it was eventually renamed Eagle. So, you know, think about the Jeep Eagle brand, you know, and Eagle dealerships were around. They were around until about 1999. So, you know, Eagle, the Eagle brand was only around for like 11 years, from 88 right. until 99. And um, oh, one last thing I want to mention about um, AMC. Yeah. You know, uh, George Romney was uh the head of AMC for a short time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And George Romney, Mitt Romney's father. Exactly right. And he quit working at American Motors in order to become the governor of Michigan. Hmm. So he uh hmm. he gave that up and and he was a successful governor. Uh but he gave up uh you know the the head of AMC Motors for uh for that position and it worked out well for him, but uh, I just thought it was kind of an interesting tie-in with Somebody that you may know from the present.
2: Yeah. It, it's, it's strange. It reminds me of that Faulkner quote, which I have probably overused on this show. Uh, you know someone was asking William Faulkner, the author about history. And he said, you know, the past is, isn't over. The past isn't even past or something like that. Yeah. And it's, it's strange because as we go through this, we're going to see something very close to a time capsule. Why did I say it that way? Capsule. Well,
4: that's all right. It is like a, it's like a
2: time capsule. Do you watch Family Guy? I do. Okay. So I feel like I'm having that cool whip moment. <laughs> all right. right. Time capsule. And we'll, and we'll see why, because, um, if you go to this property, this dealership, uh, the Collier Motors, what you're going to find will be primarily AMC cars still, mm-hmm. but a very specific, um, I guess you'd say generation or time span of AMC cars.
4: Exactly right. Now you you said that you know it's a it's almost like a uh, like a certain era of AMC vehicles, and that's it, right?
2: Era, that's the word.
4: That's it. All right. So um, you may know that AMC went defunct in uh, about 1988. Mm-hmm. Right? So yep. you know they're gone again. The Eagle brand kind of carried on until '99, but um, from 19 you know up until about 1988, they were actually making AMC badged vehicles. Right. And so what's interesting is that, you know, right about that same time, I think nineteen eighty seven, nineteen eighty eight, somewhere around there, um, you know, Robert Collier had to lock the doors on this
2: dealership temporarily. Right, yeah. So he installed a cyclone fence around the property, locked the gate, but still kept working on his uh on his vehicles. Let me do one extra thing here uh for our AMC picture, Scott. Uh the company was partially uh, purchased by Renault, right, mm-hmm. in 1979. Yeah. And this is, I think, one of the big dividing points, right? Yes, definitely. So AMC, after they're partially purchased, they begin selling imported Renaults, and that's when Robert Collier makes a decision to only sell domestic designed and built AMC cars. Yeah,
4: so he's decided on his own mm-hmm. that when the French are, are involved in this, you know, with the Renault vehicles, he's he's out. He said, I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. And, and I've got an article here from, uh, Hot Rod magazine and I can read just maybe one paragraph yeah, that, yeah. that will tell you exactly what's going on here. Uh, and it'll tell you why he decided not to sell the French, uh, French made AMC cars as, as he saw it, you know, mm-hmm. the, um, the Renaults, et cetera. So it says anything AMC related was welcome on his lot as long as it wasn't French. Renault partnered with <laughs> AMC in 1979 and bought a majority stake in 1980, as you said, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but two years later, AMC introduced the 83 Renault Alliance, an American-built version of the Renault 9. Now, the Renault Encore, an American-built version of the Renault 11, hit the market later that year. And both were you know, popular with the public and with the automotive press. But owners started to return to Bobby's Garage. They call him Bobby in this article. It's right. Robert. Yeah. Uh, to Bobby's Garage with a litany of problems. So he, he chose um, to sell AMCs based on... Nash's engineering quality, you know, the prior owners of that company, right? right? So based on Nash's quality, he decided that he was going to open this AMC dealership and now Renault's in the picture and he just doesn't think that the quality's there. It says, you know, it just didn't measure up to the Nash engines or Nash anything as he put it. Right. Um yeah. he said he called them sorry cars. He said that's it, that's <laughs> his uh, his way of putting it. Um so he let the trickle of new inventory Begin to kind of cease years before Renault sold AMC to Chrysler, and this is critical because when when Chrysler Corporation absorbed AMC's engineering and staff and facilities and you know factories, etc., um, 1987 was the last year that a factory produced an AMC badge vehicle, mm-hmm. and because Bobby was no longer in the business of selling brand new AMC vehicles, right. He was able to kind of, uh, you know, side skirt this this blow that, you know, other AMC dealerships were were having where AMC said, sorry, you're selling
2: our new product, you know, brand new products. You got to shut down as of right now. Right. Yeah. And uh, so that's when we get back to that time where he puts the fence up and he locks the doors. But notice, guys, that we're saying locks the doors or locks the gate. We're not saying closes the dealership down because he continues to work on this and here's the weird part Scott the weirdest part of all he keeps his stock and he says you know I'm still open you know just call make an appointment and his stock starts off with some really cool stuff sure it does yeah, yeah 70s 80s model AMC's. so this would be stuff like what gremlins matadors javelins yeah
4: that's right and a lot of these you know have window stickers in them they've got plastic on the seats and on the floor mats right Uh and the, the loophole here you know, is that he's not technically selling new vehicles because these are cars that are now, you know, they've aged. They're a few yeah. years old. They have zero miles on the odometer, you know, the transport mileage, maybe, you mm-hmm. know, three, four miles, whatever. Uh, but they're not technically brand new vehicles. They're last year's stock or even last decade stock.
2: Right, and he's got some interesting vehicles that are also just out and out used, like the famous uh Barry Goldwater AMX.
4: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. That, that's <laughs> that's so weird. You know, and the thing is, you know, the, the sad part about this Ben is that this is one of the cars that has uh,
2: is starting to
4: return to the earth, as they, as they say in this article, right? Yeah. Um, it's one that is decaying away, but this uh, this Barry Goldwater car. Now, it, you know, we should say who Barry Goldwater is, because maybe some of our listeners don't know. Oh, that's right. right. You and I are old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we you probably heard the name in the news, but he. And we'll get to the car in just a second. But sure. He was the Republican nominee for the U.S. presidency back in 1964. He was an Arizona senator. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, remember, he, again, this, when he was running for president, uh, he was going against the guy that stepped in after Kennedy was assassinated, right? Yeah. All right. So, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson held on to the office after Kennedy. And, of course, you know, the, he was just so popular at that time that it carried over the election. Johnson won the election. Right. Goldwater lost, but Goldwater um I guess he was an AMC fan in fact he liked the AMX versions, which the AMX versions were the uh American Motors experimental vehicles, right? Now those yeah. are the the uh, kind of like the muscle car versions, the ones that you really want.
2: Right. Yeah, he he had a bright red AMX. Uh he got it for about 5 grand, but according to Collier uh Goldwater invested at least another hundred thousand dollars in <laughs> okay. special kit.
4: Okay. You say a hundred thousand dollars. I know I know that Collier says a hundred thousand dollars.
2: But it can't be a
4: hundred thousand. I, I really don't think so. I've been trying to, to go over this in my head. How could he put a hundred thousand dollars into a car back in, you know, the the uh what, the nineteen sixties, I guess. Right. How is he going to do that? I mean that's a lot of money to dump into something, but he did have a lot of impressive updates. I think Collier was um exaggerating a bit sure but um,
2: he had stuff like he had aircraft gauges yeah,
4: he definitely did and they say that you know he probably used some of his government connections with the armed services etc to get a lot of the stuff he had he had an altimeter uh-huh. in there he had custom seats right recaro driving seats right um a custom steering wheel uh just all kinds of stuff right i mean it was uh it was definitely hot rodded I mean, the yeah. engine had, it was loaded with performance parts. Ham
2: radio equipment. Yeah.
4: <laughs> ham radio equipment. That's funny that uh, he would do that, but he was a ham radio enthusiast. So. I like,
2: I like that. I respect that so much. Well, you know, Goldwater, um, unfortunately passed away in 1998. And that's when Robert or Bobby Collier contacted the Goldwater family about purchasing the car and he got it. But as you said, Scott, uh, the bad news was that this AMX was moved from Arizona, where it's a different kind of heat, yeah. as all the tourist t-shirts say, to uh, <laughs> North Carolina, where it's pretty humid. Yeah, and it's been sitting out there since ninety eight, ninety nine. I mean, in the summer, rustling.
4: in the summer, it can be like a like a rainforest. You know, I mean, it can yeah. be hot and humid, and you know that that kind of climate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always humid all the time. I think even in the wintertime. All right, but that Barry Goldwater AMX isn't the only valuable vehicle that's on the lot right i mean there's a bunch of them really i mean there's a few in in different categories as we'll find out um he he also has and this is sad ben he's also got a few javelins that were these kind of limited number production vehicles that uh were were created for um you know like a celebration i guess of winning or commemoration of winning the 1971 scca trans am championship Mm -hmm. with driver mark donahue
2: yeah, that's automotive history right
4: there. Yeah, and these are official, these are r- the real ones because these can be reproduced. These can be, you know, kind of, uh, dummied up pretty easily. Right, yeah. And, uh, and these are actual Mark Donahue javelins that, uh, that, yeah, it's, it's a shame to see something like that go, uh, the way that they're going.
2: So, yeah, and they're not the only examples. Collier estimates that he has 250 cars in the lot, but in all of the interviews that you and I could find, Scott, he is clear that that is an estimate, and he would, you know, he says stuff like, "I'd have to count the titles. Um, these cars are in wildly varying conditions. There are two really great ones in the showroom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are some that, you know, as you said, are sitting out there. And was the line slowly returning to the soil? Yeah, something like uh, that, just rotting,
4: rotting back into the earth. And uh, and the thing is, you know, he's got five acres of property. And, you know, one time this was a dealership with a great big, you know, a brightly lit showroom with lots of windows. Uh, you know, there were rows of cars parked out in front, you know, facing the fence, some facing the dealership. Uh, just row after row of AMC vehicles. And then he kind of added to them as time went on, mm-hmm. you know, went on. Yeah. And, uh, there's, you know, the back lots that had vehicles in them as well. Well, now there's like things like trees growing through some of the vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the cyclone fence that you mentioned. Sometimes vandals hop that fence and, you know, they do a little bit of damage. They take trim from vehicles that are you know valuable they may break windows things like that which is unfortunate and it's a small town it's like 700 people in this town right so i think you know a lot of popularity you know people are are mentioning this you know we're doing it right now Mm -hmm. uh talking about this place it's an interesting place to go and see but it's also kind of a sad thing to see for a lot of people i think
2: well there are some good things there too it's not you know it's not totally a sad thing no I, i know i know what you're saying i'm uh but we gotta point out, Scott, that some of the most valuable cars on the property are this collection of pretty rare Nash Helys,
4: yeah, he's got some strange uh strange nash Heys on on the uh lot that he's you know over the decades assembled this uh this collection mm-hmm. uh, which includes a few really valuable cars that um oh ben I'm, I, he's unfortunately kind of letting these things go as well.
2: Yeah, that's true. Uh, Nash Healy sports cars, they were made between 51 and 54. So only three years, right? Mm-hmm. A partnership between the Nash Motor Company and uh, Donald Healy, the British sports car builder who supplied the chassis, suspension, technical expertise. Mm-hmm. So these were two-seater bodies. They were made in Italy. And uh, the way that I've heard this phrased is the cars are an odd combination of components that seem to work better than anyone ever imagined.
4: And they were expensive. And
2: they were expensive. Because
4: uh, now, okay, so let's say in 1952, yeah. You know, one of these, uh, Nash Healy's would be something like $6,500. Now, if you extrapolate that to 2014, that's close to $60,000.
2: No, oh, nothing Al- to sneeze
4: at. Almost $60,000 for a, uh, you know, two-seat sports car. That's pretty expensive, right? Uh, but these Nash Healy's, well, why were they so expensive? Because components for the car came from three different places. Mm-hmm. You know, Nash in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, Healy in Warwick, England, and then the bodies, as you mentioned, Ben, were from Turin, Italy. Mm-hmm. So you know these parts which I mean that that was that's unbelievable you know back in 1950 how are you going to gather parts for those I mean back then it's a lot more difficult back then than it is today oh sure to get parts for something like that I mean it was it was nearly impossible just so,
2: the negotiation via post yeah or very or phone probably yeah
4: they're very very expensive so um you know it was a, it was an expensive vehicle to own and operate and he's got a bunch of them right yeah he he's, I mean, he's what, got Four? At least four. You know, at least four that are scattered all over this dealership. And I guess if you you can say there's good news in this is that, you know, half of them are okay. There's two of them that are in decent condition. You know, actually parked inside in the service department and they're covered and they're they're relatively well maintained. Still kind of neglected, but at least they're covered and inside. Uh, The bad news, I guess, is that the other two are parked outside in the elements. And (laughs) one really bad bit of news, Ben, is that one of these is a very um specific example of that Nash Healey design. It's a Le Mans coupe uh that was a again like a stylish hardtop coupe that was meant to commemorate the brand's racing success in of course in Le Mans. And the uh the guy that wrote this article who we'll talk about in just a minute um his name is Tom Cotter. And yeah. Tom Cotter said that he was there visiting, you know, he you know requested a walk around the property with uh, with Robert Collier. And he said, as he walked up to this uh, this Lamont coupe, he noticed that the door was slightly ajar as he got up to it. You know, of course, it's parked outside. And he opens the door. and inside is just covered with moss and mold. and any kind yeah. of organic
0: material that was on the
4: outside of the vehicle is also on the inside of the vehicle.
0: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other, as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80
3: coming this summer. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bear Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen and it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare-exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window,
2: Out of respect for the vehicle and its history, um, Cotter tried to walk back to the Nash Healy and shut the door. Yeah. Which, you know, you know how they, let, let's just take a second on this. You know how in so many films, when someone significant dies, there's mm-hmm. that, there's that moment, which sometimes is heart wrenching, sometimes kind of cheesy, where they run their hands over the dead person's face and close their eyes sure. just gently, like sleep. It's
4: that's exactly like what he was trying to do.
2: Yeah, yeah, he tried to gently shut the door and then it went bang, and opened back, back open. up. Yeah, the yeah. latch
4: was faulty, but you know, I'm going to la- add another layer of misery to this whole thing. All right. And uh this is uh this is unbelievable, Ben. According to Collier, this is a car that he bought after it had won at at the Pebble Beach Concours d'Elegance.
2: Imagine that. If you haven't checked out our episodes on Pebble Beach, uh please do so so that you can get the magnitude of the the sorrow here.
4: Exactly right. I think I think our listeners know what a Concours event is. Yeah, like. I mean these cars are just unbelievable. And and now the one that's parked outside, the one I just mentioned, you know, the one's covered with moss inside. That was supposedly a winning Concours vehicle. Now it doesn't say like best in show. This article doesn't say exactly what the the uh, the award is for. But even to participate in that, that's an invitation only event. It had to have been a pristine example of that vehicle. And now, I mean, it is just rotting into the earth. And there's a photo of it. This is an actual photo of that vehicle. And it is a disaster. I mean, it looks like any other car on the, in uh, the junkyard lot there. It's just in bad, bad shape. It's really sad to see that. But now. there, are,
2: but let's talk a little bit about the cars that have a decent chance at survival. Yeah. They're the ones that are inside two of those AMXs, which we mentioned earlier. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, an ambassador convertible. Uh, a couple of motorcycles, Mm -hmm. and my favorite, which you probably saw coming, a Packard sedan. But first, a word from our sponsor. Witness the dawning
0: of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
3: Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window...
1: mix and crest plus check out new items like mr clean magic eraser ultra thick multi-surface cleaner no more sponges or other cleaning products needed and head and shoulders Bare soothing hydration shampoo a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients offer expires march 26 restrictions apply promotions may vary visit safeway.com for more details so let's get back to our topic so he has a bunch
4: of different things on the lot and that's you may think like well how does he have all these different vehicles Well, the dealership is still operating as a dealership, even today. Yep. So, you know, you have to make an appointment, right? Right. You have to to call him and say, I'm going to be there on Tuesday at noon or whatever time you're going to be there. But the dealership sells about 20 to 30 cars every year, and that's about, you know, it's kind of comparable to any other classic car dealer. I mean, not a new car dealer, but a classic car dealer. Right. So, you know, it, it does all right, and he still seeks out new vehicles to bring onto the lot. So, his inventory doesn't really decrease he's always got about 250 to about 275 cars on the lot at any given time and he's got a couple of other specific ones that i want to mention before we talk about this author sure 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 i find that pretty fascinating
2: oh he also sells parts i just want to point that out Oh, so if you want to buy components you can go there you can probably get a lot of
4: you know unopened you know the unopened amc parts from him you know still in the original box i bet it would be all right, so um, there's also a, um, oh, I think they sold these two cars, Ben. They, he originally had two Alabama Highway Patrol javelins, which were very rare. I mean, so these are probably V8-equipped oh, yeah. javelins. I would oh, yeah. guess like an AMX police car version, which mm-hmm. would be really cool to mean own. Mean machines. He bought them at auction, I think, and I think they, those have been sold. There's also a what they call a bathtub Nash design from the uh, from the 1991 movie called The Marrying Man, which starred Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. Um, so, you know, he's got a movie car on the set that are on the scene there, rather. I keep saying set on the uh, <laughs> on the lot that, um, you know, it has some historic significance. And usually movie cars, they do pretty well if you sell them. Right. I mean, yeah. And yeah. he points out, you know, that every single car here is for sale because this Tom Cotter guy who who wrote this article that we're following along here. He asked about that, uh, you know, that Lama coupe, you know, even though it was mossy and old and decrepit.
2: Yeah. He asked if it's for sale. And, you said, and of course, everything's for sale. Yeah, exactly right. He said, well, well, how much are you asking for it? Well, I'd have to think about that. But that car won at Pebble Beach, and they sell for at least $200,000. Okay.
4: So here, we're getting to the the whole root of this thing, right, Ben? Yeah. I mean, this car has uh, vegetation growing in and on it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's rotted and rusted. It's a d- disaster. I mean, the windows have been down. You know, it's been raining inside of it. It, it did win... You know, at, at Pebble Beach, apparently.
2: I, I can't verify that. But I don't know if you can save it, though, at this point. I don't
4: think so. I mean, it's in pretty bad shape. But he's saying, you know, that car went at Pebble Beach, in my mind, it's worth $200,000. But, you know, looking at that car, you know that it's not worth it. Someone may put that into a restoration, but yeah. it's definitely not worth $200,000 as it sits right now.
2: And this has made some people very angry. Yeah. Because you can, you can find some diatribes. Where people will say that, uh, this is, um, an atrocity. This guy is destroying automotive history, uh, and he should be stopped or something. But I, I wonder, I've, I've read stuff that say, oh, this guy's a hoarder and things like that. And mm-hmm. that's a real psychological problem that people can have. But not being a doctor myself, I don't know if it's fair for me to say that. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know what exactly is going on here.
2: And he owns the cars. Yeah, I don't, I'm not clear on why, how this situation came to pass. Like, why isn't there any upkeep? And you know what
4: separates him, you know, I guess from other hoarders is that he's willing to get rid of things. He said,
2: I'll sell anything. He's selling
4: everything. But the price may be astronomically high and, and, you know, it's not what it's really worth now. He's looking back at what it was worth then. Or extrapolate into what it should be worth now if it was in pristine condition. And that's not the way he should be looking at this collection.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I also think you know, here's the thing though, Scott, and you and I have said this before. If it's your car, you can do what you want. Exactly. Even if it's not even if it's not the best decision, you can do what you want if it's your car. It's just it's a cry and shame. Yeah.
4: Yeah, you're right. I mean, and you know, you and I typically say to each his own, right? I mean, yeah. if, if you want to leave your cars outside and let them rot back into the earth like this. It's your car. It is your call completely. You can do that. But um, you're going to have some people that are going to be very upset about that, especially if they're collectible vehicles like some of these AMX v- vehicles or um, the Nash vehicles that we talked about, you know, especially the Pebble Beach car. Uh, Why was that one not inside? I don't
2: understand that. Yeah, and I, I think it's because he purchased it after the um i think you purchased it after the transformation of the dealership mm-hmm. so so maybe it just came in at the wrong time because it sounds like once these cars got put on the lot they weren't being moved at all yeah that's probably true. Touched. I mean,
4: maybe it's over, overwhelming maybe it's just overwhelmed with the whole thing i mean we could you know we could we talk could about this yeah. we could
2: speculate all day long about
4: what's going on here but we really don't know i mean and apparently the guy is, you know, a decent guy to talk to and go and meet and you know, sure. he'll walk around the lot with you and describe to you what everything was you know, everything is there on his lot and, you know, maybe a story behind each one. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, interesting. be great. That'd yeah. be fun.
2: And I'd like that. I'd like to, I'd like to see it. And then maybe, you know, it'd be nice to, um, one thing I would do were I an eccentric billionaire, Scott, is I think it would be really cool to go into the dealership and restore it, restore the thing if you can't save the cars and and give this guy his dealership back, and say, "Okay, don't break anything this make, t- this time." Make got, it right. Yeah, you've got a second chance.
4: <laughs> I don't know. That would be so expensive, though. Yeah, and, but you know, I'd
2: be an eccentric billionaire. Well,
4: that's part. Okay, okay. You know what? You're you're leading right into what a lot of people's arguments are, and that is that you know the the javelins and the AMXs and those vehicles are the ones that get the most attention because of their values after restoration, right? Right. Now. I mean, it's reasonable to consider, you know, the cost versus value restoration, you know, how much it would take to take this project on. But what about like the Hornets and ambassadors that are, that are, you know, restorable? But, you know, if you spend five figures to restore a vehicle, that's only going to be worth four figures when it's done. Yeah. Is that really worth it? I mean, it's just a matter of preserving history. It's a matter of, you know, your own, you know, taking on a project, your own personal pride, Mm -hmm. you know, all that, that, that all plays into this because a lot of those cars really aren't worth anything at this point you know yep, some are some, scrap yeah some are scrap some are maybe worth rest- restoring kind of a judgment call on the person on the person you know who uh who goes there to look and the others, others are definitely worth restoring.
2: Yeah, I think the primary, again, the primary cream of the crop there is inside the showroom just because it makes such a difference being inside. But how long will that last? Because the ceiling tiles are falling down and there are major leaks. Yeah, he
4: said that, uh, you know, no one can go into the the main showroom because the uh, the roof is caving in.
2: And what do you think that does to the vehicles that were once inside there? Because they still are in there. I think there's clutter everywhere. Well, let's, you know what? Let's go on. We always like to end on an up note, right? Yeah. So let's end on a little bit of an up note. Uh, the good news is that you can go and see Collier Motors for yourself down there on the west side of route 117, yes. right? Call ahead, make an appointment. You can hear some fantastic stories and you may walk away with a piece of automotive history, but there's something else even more important. This was only one of many adventures by the author tom cotter
4: exactly right i'm glad you said that because i i nearly forgot about getting to this guy but uh but tom cotter the guy that wrote this uh, this article and this is actually a chapter in that book that you gave me ben you remember the uh the strange but true tales of car collecting oh book? yeah 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 um this is a chapter in there it's called pikeville purgatory it's by tom cotter and i found that you know kind of digging around that this chapter is lifted directly from uh tom cotter who wrote who writes his own books his own complete You know, novels. A lot of barn find books. I don't know if a novel is the best way to say this, but a collection of stories, right? Yeah. And it's all about barn finds. He's got this entire, um, collection of barn find stories that he's put together in different books. And and just to give you an example of some of the books he's written, he's he's written a book called uh, The Cobra in the Barn, Mm -hmm. The Hemi in the Barn, The the Corvette in the Barn. Yeah, the, The Harley in the Barn another one called 50 shades of rust which yeah. i think is very clever because uh, that's a recent release obviously 50 I, shades of rust i almost uh, i almost ordered that one <laughs> did you really Uh uh-huh. yeah that's a, i mean it looks like there's some interesting stories in there so um this one in particular comes from the corvette in the barn uh this this pikeville purgatory story and um you know one thing that i that i learned by reading the forward to this and you know some of the intro material in that book was that He writes all these books with the knowledge that a a car is only original once. That's the only time that that a car is ever completely original. You know, you can restore cars over and over again, but you only get original condition one time. And that's why barn finds are so exciting to people because Hmm. you find a car that has just been left untouched. You know, no one has modified it with anything ridiculous or silly that you can't ever take back. You know, yeah. It's not been spray painted in, you know, some garish color
2: or something. It's not half Bondo or whatever. Exactly
4: right. And as he states in the introduction of his own book, he says, uh, you know, the human interest story is always far more important than the type of car that we discover. So, you know, the discovery story of the whole thing is really where the, um, the magic is in this whole mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, people people are more interested in the finding of the car and the story that that goes around you know surrounding that vehicle you know how it ended up in that barn or how it ended up in that that chicken coop for fifty years sixty years or whatever it is that's the interesting part the car is secondary in this whole thing and that's the the angle that Tom writes with and I'm not again I'm not trying to sell his books or anything but <laughs> I, I kind of am in a way because. I find it really fascinating what he writes about. I, you and I both love barn find stories. Yeah, oh yeah. And these are, these are, you know,
2: again, collections
4: of stories that are just nothing but barn finds and they're all
2: true. And he is a great writer. Definitely. Not paying us to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're big Cotter fans. Uh, we hope that you will check out some of his work and perhaps you will become a Cotter fan too. But even more importantly, and no offense, Mr. Cotter, but even more importantly, We'd like to hear about your barn finds. Mr. Cotter. You know, yeah. that
4: made me think of. uh
2: Welcome oh, back, Cotter. Welcome back,
4: Cotter. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mr. Cotter.
2: <laughs> so, uh yeah, who, may, who knows? Maybe he'll write to us uh, and give us some of his latest stories or talk to us about that stuff. Yeah. Uh, we would like to hear about your barn finds or barn finds that you have heard of that you think are pretty interesting. Because one thing that is just fascinating, right, is that. This is real-life hidden treasure, mm-hmm. and it's so much easier to go find one of these cars. Well, easier is not a fair word. You know what I'm saying? You're not like exploring a sunken ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a very real and legitimate possibility that somewhere in your town right now there could be an untouched car from the 40s, the 50s, the 30s. Or a collection of cars,
4: which is, uh, you know, what we've been talking about. And this is, this is maybe the, the, the one thing, you know, that kind of, you know, differentiates this story from others is that. You know the ones that we hear about; these collections are, are really squirreled away. You know, we talked about the uh, well, the Bugatti collection. That was oh, the other yeah, one, yeah, yeah, the, the Schlumpf collection. Uh-huh. Remember all those Bugattis? That was another hidden one that we. It used. just went crazy. Yeah, that was one, and you know, we mentioned the uh, the princely collection. Sure, the um, uh, the race car graveyard. Exactly right. There's all these collections out there that you know maybe just you know over the next hill, and mm-hmm. you don't know about them. But the one, the thing that's different about this is that it's it's happening in a very public place. Hundreds of cars drive by this place every single day. People know about it. People are talking about it. It's there. It's just happening while we're kind of, uh, and I I hate to say we're letting it happen because, well, Robert Collier's letting it happen, but um, it's his choice.
2: It's his choice. And, and it's
4: right out in public, and it's something that we can all go and see if we want to. It's, it's so interesting.
2: And we'd like to hear from you if you make it out to Collier Motors. Uh, let us know how it goes. Big thanks to Mr. Collier for the story, as well as the author, Tom Cotter. And we are going to head out. If you want to hear some more car stuff, you can check out every single episode that Scott and I have ever made on Car Stuff Show. Dot com. You can also see our ugly mugs on YouTube, right? That's
4: right. You can see us on our How Stuff Works YouTube channel.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh,
4: we were at the Caffeine and Exotic Show, and the latest episode, I believe, is Ferrari.
2: Yeah, featuring a cameo uh, and some camera work by our super producer, Noel, who we always like to give a shout out to in our Car Stuff episodes. You can find us on Facebook. We'd love it if you did. You'll see a lot of stuff that doesn't make it onto the show. Same thing goes for Twitter. And if you have a suggestion for something that we should cover, if you have a barn find story that you're dying to tell us, or if there's just uh, something kind of cool, car-related, that you think we should know about, send us an email. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it.
1: 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest Toothpaste, Secret Deodorant, Old Spice Deodorant or Gillette Razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit
3: Safeway.com for more details. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot.